Thanks, Tim. Great to have that reading before us. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us. And then we're going to dive into our topic for today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time set aside in our week. We thank you, Father, for the reading of your word, for the opportunity to praise your name in song. And we ask now, Father, that you might prepare our hearts, that you might speak to us, that you might challenge us, and that you might change us by your Holy Spirit, so that we would depend and trust in your Son, our Saviour. Amen. Uh, apparently Christmas is coming up. Have you, are you aware of this? Uh, has anyone done their Christmas shopping, like totally got it sorted? A couple of hands. Uh, has anyone not started their Christmas shopping? You're amongst friends, so you can put your hands up. That's good. Okay, fantastic. Uh, that's good. Um, it, it probably doesn't matter too much because there's still plenty of time. So don't worry, don't, don't be concerned. What, one of the challenges I have, I think I shared the other week, my love language is not gift giving. So I, I, it's a bit hard for me. I don't really like the whole present thing. Carrie's laughing because she knows I love you, beautiful. I just might not get the gift thing very good. So here's the thing. When, when it comes to buying gifts, surely the question is, how much, isn't it? How much? What's enough? And now if you're a really generous person, right, You'd, you'd love doing this and you, you'd go for gold. Maybe you're more of a stingy person and you're like, I think that's, I'm going to really get out of my skin. I'm going to give them two matchbox cars this year, you know, like, I, I don't know what you're like, but it's an interesting thing because then you've got to work out the relative importance, right? So my significant other should have a, a, a significant present. But the people who are the fourth cousins of Auntie Mary, do they really need a, a really good... So you've got to work out what they're worth to some extent, and it almost turns into dollars, doesn't it? We can work out how much they're worth. I used to work in David Jones, and so after Christmas, I would watch everyone bring everything back and turn exactly what they got into, what it was worth, which is just a fantastic thing to watch year after year. So here's the thing. What are you worth? What are you worth? Uh, what is a life really worth? Well, I want to tell you some valuable lives. Uh, this is a guy called Neymar. Has anyone heard of Neymar? Uh, do you know that he's worth a bit of money? Uh, you might not think that he's worth very much money, but um, Paris Saint-Germain uh, decided that he is worth this amount of money over five years. Has everyone, has everyone got how many zeros are sitting there? He's worth 270 million US dollars over five years. What does he do? Kicks a soccer ball. That's pretty good, that's pretty good, isn't it? So he's worth $270 million. But look, that's over five years, so okay. Uh, here's another bloke, uh, Ronaldo. You've heard of Ronaldo? Okay, well, what's he worth? Well, that's a good question, but he topped the Forbes list for most highly paid athletes this year. Here's what he's making this year. He's making $93 million for one year. And, and about half of that is actually for kicking a soccer ball. Some of it is for just running around with a number on your back that they can sell in endorsements. Now, he happens to be pretty good at kicking a ball, but $93 million in a year? Now, that's fun. I want, I want you to think, though, about the value of human beings. So there's some extraordinarily valuable human beings in the world's market economy. I want to show you a different story. This, this came uh, in my mail the other day from uh, IJM, International Justice Mission. 
It's from Cebu in the Philippines. And it was a story saying that nine children had been rescued from a remote island in the Philippines where they had been trafficked by a relative exploiting them over the internet for people far away. In this situation, they've been worth nothing for years. Valuable to someone else, but paid nothing. And they've been hidden and they've been abused and they have been worth nothing. What about in God's eyes? You see, whatever we think about our world economy, it's messed up, isn't it? Nobody is actually worth $270 million and no one is worth nothing. So what about in God's eyes? What are we worth in God's eyes? Well, this morning I want to tell you a hard truth and I want to tell you a hope-filled truth. A hard truth and a hope-filled truth. I started with, uh, by mentioning IJM just before. One of the things that's blown me away is, is thinking about uh, the life of people in this world who are slaves, modern-day slaves. And here's some pictures of some people in a, in, a, in, a, in a brick kiln in India, and they have no say over their future. They're slaves. They're trapped. And I want to read to you about a slavery that you and I are in according to Jesus. In John chapter 8, we hear this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? Now, brothers and sisters, I think this is where we start this morning. If Jesus was to say he could set you free, we would put our hand on our hearts and we'd sing a bit of midnight oil, wouldn't we? And we'd say our shoreline was never invaded, our country was never in flames. We, we are the people who are free. Of all the people in the world, we're free. And so the people who were listening to Jesus said, we're Abraham's descendants, we're free. Here was Jesus' response, and he would say the same thing to you today. Are you ready? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's me. And that is you. And we are sold as slaves to our rebellious passions and desires. We are slaves to sin. And that, that is a problem. Just like these people in the brick kiln in India can't buy their way out, you and I are unable to buy our way out of our slavery to sin. It is an impossibility. Let me show it to you in the scriptures. In Psalm 49, which was read for us, we hear these devastating words. Have a listen. It says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. You can't ransom someone else, and the punishment for our sin is death. Show you it again. When Jesus speaks in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 8, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So you might have $270 million, but if your soul is lost, you cannot turn your cash into redemption for your soul. There is no one on earth who can redeem you 
and there is nothing that you can pay to get your soul back. You and I are spiritually broke. We are spiritually broke and we are sold as slaves to sin. Did I tell you it would be a hard truth to start? The reason we need to hear these things is we'll never appreciate the good news until we know the reality of our spiritual situation. And so you need to know we're slaves who are broke, unable to redeem ourselves. We are unable to pay the debt that is owed to God. So this leaves us looking for a redeemer. A redeemer is someone who will buy out of slavery. That's what redeemer is, someone who will buy out of slavery. So you're in slavery, someone pays the owner off and they set you free. That's what we're looking for, someone who might be able to redeem us. It's interesting in the, uh, in the Bible, time and time again, God defines himself as redeemer. Have a listen to these awesome words. You remember that Israel, before they came into the promised land, were in Egypt. And do you know what they were doing in Egypt? They were slaves. Well, they were multiplying and they were slaves. Uh, they were getting bigger and bigger as a nation, but they were slaves to the pharaohs there. Here's what God said Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is speaking to Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God says, I am going to redeem the slaves, my people, in Israel. And then we see, uh, not only is it that God will redeem the nation, But having redeemed them, God gives them a set of laws. And he says, Israel, you're to live as a redeemed people. And that will mean that you practice setting slaves free. Have a listen to this in Leviticus 25. It says, even if someone is not redeemed in any of these ways, they and their children are to be released in the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are my servants whom I bought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God says there are ways that you can buy yourself out of slavery in the, in the land of Israel. You can do that. And he says, if you haven't bought your way out, then on the year of redemption, the day of Jubilee, they will be set free every seven years. You're a freed people. You will set slaves free in your country. We see it again, uh, that they're to redeem their children. Have a listen to this in Exodus 13. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, As he promised on oath to your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Here's the thing. The firstborn of every womb belongs to God. And you're to give it over to God. However, it's really important that you don't sacrifice donkeys because they're your Hilux ute, okay, in, in Israel, okay? So don't do that. Redeem them with a lamb, okay? Don't kill the firstborn. You, you, you redeem them with a lamb. You substitute the donkey for a lamb, and the lamb is the sacrifice. And then it says you need to redeem your children. You'll sacrifice a lamb for your firstborn child because you're remembering that God set the Israelites free by killing the firstborn of Egypt. Redemption is part of the pattern in every Israelite family. And then we see all the way through to the exile where they lose the promised land, God says, I'm going to bring you back. In Isaiah 41, it says, Do not be afraid, Jacob, little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, 
declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Uh, Lots of background. Bear with me. What's the point? The point is that God reveals himself as Redeemer in the Old Testament. Uh, There's this wonderful little bit in Psalm uh, 1914 here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Who is God? Redemption becomes part of the very way God reveals himself. He says, I'm a redeemer. That's what I am. If you want to know what I'm like, I'm the one who buys you back from slavery. That is who I am. And so the psalmist can call him my redeemer. And so hope emerges. And uh, I want to show you uh, in, that, uh, in the Psalms that we actually see this hope coming through. So praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This is a beautiful psalm, incidentally. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. You see, human beings, who can redeem another? Nobody. But with God, God is able to redeem. He's the one who redeems your life from the pit. And then we see it in Psalm 130, again, beautiful words. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Where can I look for someone to redeem me? It's not amongst men. Where do I have to look? I must look to God. God is the one who will set me free from my sin. Now, have you seen this before? This is my diagram of the uh, the Bible. Old Testament on the left, New Testament on the right. Uh, The idea here is to remember the way the two parts of the Bible work together. We're going to read in our Bible reading plan from the Old Testament. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, but that's all the stuff we're done with, isn't it? We only really want to look at the New Testament because that's where all the good stuff is. Anyone? Here's the reason. Here's the reason that we want to keep them together. Okay? There's a great saying that says... The Old Testament is the new concealed, and the New Testament is the old revealed. Have you heard this before? In other words, what it's saying is, in the Old Testament, the good news that we're longing for is concealed in there. It's all in there if you'll dig in and find it. The prophecies about Jesus are sitting there waiting for you to find. Then the New Testament, we only understand the New Testament because we've been digging around in the old. So do you get it? The the old is the new concealed, and the new is the old revealed. Have I stretched this too far? Are we doing all right? Okay, so that means we need to understand our Old Testaments in order to make sense of the new. You need both halves of the Bible. Well, let me show you how it is that God can be the Redeemer. We saw it in the Psalms. How can he be the Redeemer? Have a listen to Mark 10. Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus sums up his ministry and he says, I have come to buy slaves back. How will I do it? I'll do it at the cost of my life. Jesus is God's promised redeemer. All those promises in the Old Testament are pointing forward to Jesus. We'll make sense of the old when we see it revealed in the new And so here's how he does it. How does Jesus redeem us? 
two things that we see in the scriptures. There's probably lots more, but here's two for you. In Ephesians 1.7, we see in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. See, the price for my sin, the punishment for sin, does anyone know what's the punishment for sin? Death. The punishment for sin is death. Who has sinned? We all have, right? So here's the reason that I can't be your substitute, okay? Because if I try to pay your price for sin, what's the price for sin again? Death, you're with me, great, okay. Who's sinned? Have I sinned? And I want to forgive your sins, and the price is death, right? Who's going to pay for my sin? Do you understand? I could die for you, but then my debt would be unpaid. Probably you'd have to do a swapsy for me, and that'd be awkward for you. Are you with me? It, it, it doesn't work. Who can be the one who redeems? The price for sin is death. If I try and substitute for you, I can't. I have to pay the, my own price and you have to pay your price. So what's Jesus done? Something extraordinary. Something extraordinary. And we'll see it in the second part here. In Galatians, here's what it says Jesus did to redeem us. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, apart from the fact that they're beautiful words, how does it work? Let me explain. I'll put these two up here. Here's what happens. There was a law that God gave the Israelites. Some debate, let's say there's 613 laws. Our ability to keep them, absolutely impossible. Uh, the Ten Commandments we fail spectacularly at, 613, don't worry, you, I'm going to tell you, you fail, okay? If we fail, we fall short of God's standard, we sin, we deserve death. Okay, here's where you need a Jesus. Jesus came, he was born of a woman, so he's a real human, born under the law, but you know the one thing that Jesus never ever did? What did Jesus never do? He never sinned. What it means is that he was completely obedient to everything that God willed for him. So here's a human, God, human, here's a human who never sinned. So does he have a price to pay over his head? He does not. And so here's what he does. On the cross, Jesus stands in my place. He dies the death I deserve to die for my sin. Blood, his life, that's the blood, his life is poured out for me because he didn't have to pay for his sin, he can pay for mine. Does this make sense? So how is Jesus able to be our redeemer? Through blood, his life poured out, and through obedience, a sinless life lived. Can you see this? How beautiful is that? And so what we need, we need God to step in. But we need a real person to live an obedient life, otherwise it's cheating. So we, we need God involved, we need a person involved. What do we need? We need the God-man. Who is the God-man? And the church said? Great answer, great answer. Okay, you're with me. So why is Jesus so important to us? It's only Jesus who could be God and man and therefore redeem us. It's brilliant, isn't it? We could say good man as well, couldn't we? God man, good man. Here's what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. So Jesus suffered the curse that we deserved. He died for us in our place that we might be set free. So what's your worth? What's your life worth? What is your life worth? In the Old Testament, they had something to remind them what their life was worth. Does anyone know what this is? It's a string on a finger. I know that you know what that is. But does anyone know why you would put a string on a finger? As a reminder, apparently, has anyone ever done this? I just say to Siri now, remind me at whatever time it is, and I get my reminder back. It's fantastic. I don't have to tie anything on my finger. But here's the thing. I think if I had a string tied on my finger, I'd just find it awkward. It would fall off, and I wouldn't remember anything. But there was something set up in the life of Israel which was designed to remind them. Remember I told you that they were supposed to redeem their firstborn sons and their donkeys and all that sort of stuff? Remember that? There's a wonderful little bit that follows on in Exodus uh, chapter, uh, chapter 13. It says this. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Isn't that wonderful? I just love this in the Bible. Dad, you're doing some weird thing with the donkey and a lamb. I don't know what that's about. Here's the thing. When your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem every one of my firstborn sons. And so it will be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So here's the thing. What they put in Israel was a tradition with a tail. A tradition with a tail. Here's something you do, do it over and over again, because you must remember this about the way that you came to be a nation. You were saved. So they didn't have an Australia Day. They had a regular sacrifice. And every time that sacrifice happened, it was a tradition with a tail. Why are we doing this, Dad? Because God redeemed you out of slavery. And we are showing that we're honouring God in our family. What is your life worth? In the Old Testament, it's worth a lamb. In the New Testament, we're told it was the Lamb of God who sacrificed himself on the cross for us. What is your life worth? The Bible tells us your life is worth the death of his son. Your worth is established on the cross. And wonderfully, and we're going to do this a little bit later, guess what? We've got a tradition with a tail, don't we? When we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering Jesus' death and resurrection, and we tell ourselves this story to remind us of our worth. When were you one from slavery? We take a piece of bread, we have a little bit of juice, and we remind ourselves that it was a great cost that you and I were bought from slavery. If that's true, if your worth is found in the Son, then out goes three things. Out goes self-loathing. See, you can get to the point where you go, I don't like myself. I'm not valuable. You get fed all of this rubbish from the world from other evil and sinful people who pour words of hate and loathing onto you And what happens is we start to tell ourselves that this is what we are worth. And the cross speaks a better word than that, doesn't it? It says you are valuable. 
You are valuable. Whatever anyone else would tell you, there it stands to remind you that God thinks that you are valuable. So self-loathing is gone. A life of guilt is gone. See, many of us will carry around guilt and we'll think, I can't be forgiven for what I've done in the past. I can't be forgiven. I find it, maybe some of you will be saying to yourself, I find it hard to forgive myself for these things. God says, I paid the price fully on the cross. I have set you free. You're not a part slave and a part son. Jesus says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Totally done. So the only one that would want you to walk around, we're just going to state the obvious here, okay? You're going to help me out, church. The only one that would want you walking around feeling guilty is who? Satan is the only one that wants you to walk from here today. If you've asked the son to forgive you and set you free, then the only one who wants you walking around feeling guilty is Satan. The one who sent his son to die for you wants to wash you utterly clean, wants you to walk out of here guilt-free. Praise God. Here's another thing that bops on the head. If you think you're worth $270 million, guess what? You are not. Neymar is no more of value than those beautiful broken kids in, in the Philippines, than you sitting right here today. No one is worth more than you. There is level ground in front of the cross because it took his life for your life, just the same as everyone else. Superiority must be gone. So I want to ask you, are you willing to reevaluate your worth in light of the cross? Are you willing to reevaluate your life and your worth in front of the cross? And because it's Christmas, okay, bring it in a little bit closer. Because it's Christmas, as you think about buying presents, you think, they don't deserve whatever it is, okay? The answer is, no one deserves anything, okay? It's all grace. It's all grace, okay? And so we, we need to actually just be wary of, of uh, evaluating other people's worth as different to our own. So instead of that, so that stuff should be gone. Instead of that, we should focus on thankfulness. See, here's the thing. You were bought at great cost. What's the response if you knew it wasn't $270 million, it was the death of God's son that won you to himself? Thankfulness must naturally follow. Holiness, if he saved me from sin, from slavery to sin, I should live a life of indulgence and sin. Do you want to go back to Egypt? That's the question. God set his people free and he sets us free. Do we want to go back to Egypt? If this morning you've not ever responded to the offer of forgiveness in Jesus, I want to ask you to do that. Today is a great day to be saved. You can say to God, God, I want to be done with my sin. I see that you paid the price. I realize I have sinned and I want to be free. Today is a great day to be set free. So I want forgiveness to be asked for. And brothers and sisters, especially at Christmas time, can I ask you to be people who've extended forgiveness to others when we stuff up when we're tired when our relatives get on our nerves when we're packing up after carols at 11 o'clock next week can I ask you to extend forgiveness because you have been forgiven at great cost are you willing to let redemption drive your engagement with God and others 
So we need to stop judging the worth of people by money, don't we? Yeah? There's your take home. Stop judging the worth of people by money. Have a listen to the way the story unfolds. This is where we're coming into land. In Psalm 49, 15, it says, But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. In Isaiah 43, we're told, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You were sold for nothing, Isaiah says, and without money, you'll be redeemed. It's beautiful, isn't it? Here it is at Christmas time. This is what the angel says with Zechariah. Actually, Zechariah says after he's chatted with the angel, he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. How awesome is Christmas as we are reminded of the wonderful gift of God that shows your worth to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that in Jesus and him alone, you have redeemed us. Lord, I pray for the people here who have never taken hold of your forgiveness, and I ask that today will be a day where they'll turn from their slavery to sin and seek the forgiveness that you offer. Father, I pray for those of us that know it in our heads, that you might refresh our hearts and help us to see our value before you. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we judge others based on finance, based on what we see from the outside. Lord, help us to see their worth in light of what you have offered us in your Son. Lord God, we ask this in the name of your precious Son, our Saviour, Jesus. Amen.